welcome to episode 41 of Roll, Play, Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands in the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. Y'all, I am so excited to finally share this episode with you. If you weren't able to tune in to last week's episode, then you should know that I just came back from hiatus, and this is an episode that I recorded back in October. Medical issues and then moving to a whole new state because Breton got a fancy new job delayed the timing of me being able to release this conversation to you earlier, but it is finally here. And this is one where, honestly, you're probably going to want to take some notes. If you are planning a crowdfunding campaign, thinking of planning a crowdfunding campaign, or just in search of some amazing advice about marketing your products, then you need to listen to this episode. Daniel Nimitz is an absolute wizard at helping Kickstarter campaigns get funded. Some examples of previous projects they were the marketing manager of are Fuel Priest, Magic School Mystery, and Heroes of Tara. Daniel shares some incredible tips about preparing for your crowdfunding campaign, the budget you set aside for marketing, crowd surveys to see what graphics and images are going to help you achieve your funding goals, building an email list, and so much more. To be completely honest, I kind of kept forgetting that I hadn't shared this episode yet and would mention some of the stats she told me to Brenton. He would get like super confused and say, Courtney, I haven't heard that episode yet. Well, now you finally know what I'm talking about, Brenton. If this is your first time tuning into Roleplay Grow, you're probably like, what did I just walk into? So hello, this podcast is a part of Lightheart Adventures, which is a small company that I co-founded with my husband. We also do blogs, one-shots, and maps that you'll find over on our website, lightheartadventures.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us both on Patreon and Coffee as Lightheart Adventures. Another way you can support the show is by checking out our affiliate links like Found Familiar Coffee, the most delicious and nerdy coffee you'll ever taste, and you'll get to collect some pretty cool D&D-themed art on every package. Go to foundfamiliar.com and enter code LIGHTHEARTADV to get 10% off your order, enjoy delicious coffee, and help me keep this show running. That is enough from me for now, so grab a notebook and pen and get ready to learn from Daniel. It is time to welcome today's guest, TTRPG Marketing Manager, Daniel Nimitz. Hello, Daniel. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing doing great. It's uh it's a nice easy day. Just got up late after playing tons of video games last night, so it feels good. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What games are you playing? Oh, I was playing uh Cyberpunk 2077. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh it had a lot of controversy early on, but I think like the the devs have been patching it a lot and still got a lot of like glitches, but it's it's very fun. It's got a good storyline and stuff. Yeah, I feel like I haven't heard anything about it other than the first couple of weeks where everyone was so mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that was that was probably valid, but I didn't buy it for a long time and now it seems pretty good. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> well, cool. I'm really excited to have you on today and pick your brain about marketing forever. But before we do that, can you tell us a bit about who you are and how you got into gaming? So I'm I'm Daniel Nimitz. Um, I've been doing marketing for tabletop games for about five years now, and I kind of I got started mostly when I started with Dungeons and Dragons three point five, and it was when I went on a trip to India with my parents. I got a book that was like the player's handbook. And I was like reading through it and I read through it probably like 10 times on that trip. And I was so excited to play when I got back. So I got together my friends. This was when I was like 13 and I started playing Dungeons and Dragons and we had a gaming group for like 10 years. And then I started doing marketing when one of my friends went to school and they went to school for game design and they created a game during one of their classes that they wanted to sell and they wanted some help with it. So I kind of was going to school for marketing at the time. And I said, you know, I want to, 
I want to do this. This sounds really fun. I love games. I'd love to market games. I love the joy that people get from games. I feel like I'd be happy doing that. And I, I am happy doing that. So now I'm here, I guess, kind of like to talk about like how that's kind of a large jump that I just made. So to talk about the in-between, it would be uh, I was the marketing manager for that game, which was Fuel Priest. And we went to Kickstarter and we kickstarted that successfully. And it was kind of the place where I learned a lot about like organic marketing because we were on a very like shoe strap budget uh, as most indie tabletop developers are. And then I, after that, one of the designers who worked on that game launched her own game called Magic School Mystery, where she was making a game that's kind of Harry Potter themed tabletop RPG. And I helped with that. I learned more about how to work with like influencers through that. Again, it was pretty like low budget, but it was a good game. So it kind of like sold itself. And when I say low budget, I just mean the marketing budget was low. And then the next thing I did is kind of like then when quarantine happened, I was doing a bunch of game jams because I was thinking like, you know, we didn't know when it was going to end. So I just kept thinking, oh, it'll just be another two weeks or whatever. I'll just do some more game jams. So I did some like design work in those. And then with my most recent finished product is uh, Heroes of Tara that I helped um, Jacob Dwerkson launch. Really fun. It was Irish mythology expansion for Dungeons and Dragons. And that was great to work on because I had a I had a larger budget. I got to put a lot of the skills I learned in my classes to the test. And then, you know, it just was like a that one was like a much bigger success. It sold like over a thousand copies on Kickstarter. And then in terms of like most recent projects, I started working on a, a furry in fifth edition, uh, which is like just a little zine for like anthropomorphic characters. And that one I'm doing both the design and marketing for. So I kind of wanted to try out some more design there. Yeah, that's awesome. It sounds like you've had a really interesting journey. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. And I mean, I think I I am a like crowdfunding nerd. I just love Kickstarter and Patreon and stuff. So I think it's just so fun to work with that. And then I also love games. So then just combining it with games for me is like, you know, the ideal. How did you get that very first gig? Yeah, so the very first gig was um, my friend went in their game design course. They worked for like a whole year on creating this game as like the capstone for their classes. And that was Fuel Priest. It was like a diesel punk tabletop RPG where you're like pilots with kind of magical powers flying like World War One or Two era aircraft. And so... They kind of came out of their class and they said they they wanted to sell it and they weren't sure the best way to go about that. And they were just talking to me as just like a friend about it. And we were just talking and we both got excited and we decided that we were going (laughs) to we were going to launch it as a Kickstarter. And we just we teamed up and we made it happen. And it took about a year, but it was it was fun and it was good okay and then like the next one you you built a working relationship with somebody from that game and it just kind of spawned from there so i honestly i love how like regardless of the industry how cool it is when you meet people working on one project and they're just like yeah help me with my project next (laughs) yeah yeah and i mean i think that's like that's so important too because like now that i'm doing um in fifth edition there's like all these people that i know who i want to like bring on and like i'm also like looking at people and i have like smaller projects and i like to work on smaller projects with people and see like oh i do i want to bring you on to this other project too and usually i do i mean almost everybody is great at what they do it's crazy how much talent there is with this tell me about the I guess, day-to-day life of a freelance marketing manager. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. So so the deal is <laughs> I, um, I usually, like, get up late because I've stayed up late playing Cyberpunk 27 or whatever. So then <laughs> one thing that is really important is, like, keeping a kind of break between, like, home and work for me. Like, I work from home as I think a lot of people do. And I want to keep a divide in my mind of like, where's work and where's home so that I'm not working off the clock. Cause it's really easy to be like messaging 
people when I'm not like quote unquote on work time. One way I help with that is I like I walk around just like my neighborhood block one way at the beginning of the day as if I'm like quote unquote walking to work. It helps trick my mind. I don't know. It helps me. But so I do that. And then I um, usually in the very beginning, it's like a frenzy of like communication. You know, usually I've got a lot of discord messages, a lot of Twitter messages, a lot of email messages. And I just like go through all of those and respond to them and start chatting with everybody that I need to be chatting with. And so while that's going, and those are usually, you know, either like influencers or team members needing something from me or like whatever client needs so that I know what I can be doing for them today if they need anything in particular. And then I usually write out while I'm doing those initial communications, like everything that I want to achieve that day. And it varies a lot from day to day about exactly what that's going to be. But at the beginning of a project, it'll usually be me working on the website or me kind of analyzing the best price points for a product or what the customers most enjoy about a product. And I'll kind of run some polls about that. And then later on in a project, it's going to be interacting with influencers to build relationships and looking at the analytics of like Facebook and our website to see like what people are doing with our ads, if they're engaging with our ads, if they like our ads and what types of ads they're most enjoying so that I can put more money in the right places and what influencers are best matched up to our audience. And then a bit later than that, it's me looking at the Kickstarter page or looking at the, you know, sales website once we're generating like sales to make sure that they are getting the the most value per each person who like visits them. Essentially, it's I'm very much like a long time ago in like the 1960s, people did a lot of marketing based on feelings. It was much more of like a film kind of feel idea where you would get like an award for making the best ad and it would be kind of just voted on by a panel of judges. Um, But like these days, it's like much more scientific and analytical um, where it's a constant process of like me making hypotheses and then testing those hypotheses and then seeing what the results are. And my goal is to make the best match between an audience and a product and find the right audience for that product, essentially. And so it's mostly, you know, just every day, a different way of testing that assumption that I'm either hitting the right audience or that I need to change who I'm talking to. Can you give an example of one of those hypotheses? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So probably like the most common one that I do is I'll get a bunch of images and let's say for the game and I'll make ads with all of the different images and besides that image, I keep the text the same across all the ads. So it might be something, let's say like for Magic School Mystery, they had like a picture of a cauldron and a frog. They had a picture of like wizards high in a tower. And they, and then I just put text on both of those. And I say like Magic School Mystery, explore a castle and it's many mysteries or whatever. Join us. And I have the same text on it both. And then I have two different images and I'll put those out into the world and I'll show each of those to say like a thousand to 5,000 people. And then I'll see which of those two gets more people to click on the image and go to our website. And so kind of the hypothesis there might be like, Oh, the frog will perform better. And then I'll see if the frog does perform better or not. And then based on that, I'll be able to decide which image we should be using for our promotions. So that would kind of be one form of hypothesis that I could test. Yeah, that is really cool. Like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's it's about getting people excited and also like finding the right people. So like like I also do testing, like I tested like Harry Potter fans versus like fans of tabletop RPGs and I saw like which one is gonna have more people who like it, right? So it's like it's about finding who's gonna enjoy it most and what images resonate with them the most and what messages most excite them about the game. 
So are most of your projects around Kickstarter or, I mean, it sounds like you've got some that you're working with the website. So is that something that you'll do website work after Kickstarter funds? What's that breakdown like? Usually I do the website as part of the Kickstarter. So one of the most important things for a Kickstarter is its first like two days. If a Kickstarter doesn't hit about 33% of its funding in the first two days, it's going to have a hard time making its funding goal. And I personally, I don't like the stress of <laughs> uh, like waiting the full time period of a Kickstarter in order to know if it's going to get funded. So I like to try to get funded first day. And so it's those first days are very important, essentially, to proving that you can make your goal. Backers want to know that you're going to make your goal and Kickstarter's algorithm want to know that you can make your goal. So building a website that has a mailing list and getting as many people onto your mailing list as possible is essential to launching a successful Kickstarter. So that's why I usually do website work is to set up those mailing lists and get people onto them. One thing that might be helpful to people is if you are looking at your Kickstarter and you're trying to figure out like if it'll get funded based on your mailing list, the rule of thumb is you will fund day one if you have like 60% of the number of backers you need on your mailing list or 600%, sorry, 600%. So that would be maybe a helpful tip for some people. Interesting. And that's just because of the conversion rates. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's essentially like because you want so you need 60% of your backers are going to come from you and then 40% are going to come from Kickstarter and then because 10% of your mailing list is going to probably convert, you'll actually probably get a little bit higher than that, but I'm giving a little bit of a conservative estimate there because um it's just nice to be a little bit on the safer side with the, these things. Then you kind of have that 60% times 10. So then you're going to get uh, the 600%. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you come on to a new project that is about to kickstart, mm-hmm. like what is your process? What do you do at the beginning? How do you help get the Kickstarter ready? Yeah. So, so usually the first thing that needs to happen is we have to create that mailing list because we want almost all of our promotion should be sending people to the mailing list. So all of our like posts on all our social media should be leading people to that mailing list. Our paid advertisements on Facebook should be leading them to that mailing list. There's not a lot we can do until we create that mailing list. Um, and I also do start looking for like influencers early on because it's, there's a lot of influencers out there, but it's important to find the right ones for your, this particular project and no one is exactly the same and it takes a while to build relationships with influencers it's not something i want to rush i want to sincerely know the influencer their audience what their audience likes and what they like so that i can you know craft a message that's best suited to them and make sure that i'm you know interacting with the right people who actually want the product yeah so usually it's first mailing list and finding influencers And then I start interacting with influencers and setting up the social media to start flowing people to the mailing lists. And then as soon as the art team finishes their art, and I'll start testing the images against one another, crafting messages to test against each other, and as well as creating like the Kickstarter page, Um, the initial page I want to have like an image for, um, and I'll get the pre launch page up and for anybody who doesn't know the pre-launch page is uh, essentially the kickstarter will allow you to put out a website early that will essentially work like a mailing list but you don't get to keep these emails after your launch the good thing about this alternate mailing list that kickstarter will create is that i do see higher conversion rates than a mailing list so once you have this like essentially second mailing list this pre-launch page kickstarter up then you can also experiment and see if people are more likely to sign up with that using your like facebook ads and so i kind of that's like the next step there once you launch you just you send your mailing list out to everybody Uh, you have your influencers lined up to come out with content throughout the period of time that you're doing it and then you just 
you see what happens day one and you hope you get a high enough percent there and you keep your ads running and you keep people excited with some cross promotion and some Facebook ads and some uh, updates. So that's usually like the process. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I do. I realize I have a follow-up question on the testing the images portion. Oh, yeah. Where do you typically test them? And are you doing it like the same time of day on two different days? Are you testing them on different platforms? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so I try to keep it same same period of time. And then I do it both on Facebook. I use the Facebook Business Manager is like a software where you can run ads. And I usually run them as ads. And I just pay like five to $10 per each image that I'm testing to run them. And, you know, they just look, come up in people's timelines looking sincerely like advertisements like they will in the final product and people kind of choose between those. The next thing that I would really love to dig into is the emails themselves. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, curating the email list and how it's really important, but if someone were to just sit down and say, okay, I've picked a platform, whether it's MailChimp or something else, and I've got people subscribing to this, what do I say? Like, how do I come up with the subject line? What should be in the messages? How often should I be emailing them? What would your advice be? Uh, yeah. So for emails, it's good to just craft them so they're like easily skimmable. People don't like to read lengthy emails. I'd send it out about once a month. With a short subject line, I would say no longer than about 50 characters. Uh, It's good to avoid explanation marks because one thing that email marketing has to do a lot is avoid uh, spam filters or being marked as spam. So you don't want to make Google or whatever email provider think that you're a spammer. You know, keep it short. I'd say probably like two to three paragraphs you know, it's nice to put in some images to make people more engaged. People engage a lot more with images. Um, that goes for organic posts as well. And then in terms of like what I would say kind of just depends on the project and how far along it is early into a project. If it's still got about like a year before launching or longer, it's totally good to just send out these emails as almost like a a dev diary of like what you've been up to, what you're doing, what your progress is. And then once it starts getting closer to launch, it's good to start pointing people to like where they can get get different benefits from. So like pointing people to where your play test groups are or pointing people to where your different social media is or pointing people to just anything that can add value or make their lives better. So maybe if you have any like discounts on something else that's going to come out or, you know, it's, it could be a lot of different things. I'm not sure I'm the best at like crafting like what they should be. I feel like that is something I need to work on. Yeah. So I think that's kind of how you craft them. And then one thing that's also important is kind of cleaning your email lists again to avoid spam filters. So about every like six months, you want to go in and find everybody who's not engaged with anything that you've sent for a long period of time and just take them off the mailing list. Cause obviously either they're not interested or their spam blockers are already blocking you. And that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of. Cause I know like there's, the more places that block you as spam, the harder it is to not be marked as spam in the future. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to be like sending anybody messages who doesn't want to be receiving them, you know? And like, that's why too, I, on all my emails, I also have like a message at the bottom of the email. That's like a unsubscribe button if people want to unsubscribe, but it's also helpful because like with that button, I also have it set up to like, ask people kind of like why they're unsubscribing, you know, they don't have to answer it to unsubscribe, but it's good feedback for me to know, you know, am I sending messages too much? Is it something people aren't interested in? You know, it's just good to get that kind of feedback from your audience. Yeah, definitely. So you talked a little bit about influencers and how you pick who's going to be the people that you reach out to. But what about that actual like initial reach out? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you go about contacting them? What do you like to include in the message so that they don't think that you're spamming them? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, again, um, I try to keep it 
sort of brief and I try to, but I do want to make, like you said, sure that they know that I am sincerely somebody who's interested in somebody who's like been around with them for a while. So usually what I'll do is I'll start out. I usually like to start out like slightly informally and like more in a talkative fashion. So I'll usually be like, Hey, so-and-so. And then my next line will be something about, like their content and what I like about it. So I'll either say something about an interesting thought they had me, they got me to have, or I'll say something like a funny joke that they make either kind of make the joke myself or like just say that I enjoy that kind of joke that they make. And then I'll have the next paragraph say like, this is what I'm making and why I think it matches their audience in particular. And then the final paragraph is me saying like what I can do for them. And depending on the influencer, the usual kind of rule I see, and it seems to work is if somebody's got like a thousand or fewer followers on whatever platform, then usually saying that you will like help support their channel with like promotion is enough. But if somebody has over that a thousand, then usually you want to be offering payment upfront. And I usually make that obvious in the subject line for them. So I'll say like sponsorship with whatever group I'm working with. Um, but if somebody is not above that amount i won't usually offer it up front but sometimes you know if their audience really matches ours and they they want it i would usually go with it i'm usually pretty interested by the time i am messaging but yeah i'll usually say that it will help them with promotion and that we you know do whatever we can to help them out i I usually ask as well if there's anything else we can do for them because sometimes people surprise me and have something special I can do for them. And I'll go out of my way to do that for them since they are doing, you know, so much for us. So I really appreciate them. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I have fun, <laughs> I have fun building relationships with influencers. There's a lot of fun people. Yeah. And then how often do you keep up with them once they do respond? So then I kind of like message them for a while. I have to, I organize whatever like meeting there needs to be between the influencer and my client. Usually influencers, you know, when I'm promoting something, they're going to talk to the designer, not me as a marketer. So I set up that and that happens, but I try to keep up with them essentially like forever. Cause if, if somebody's like done something like that for me, you know, I want to help them be able to promote their stuff for as long as possible. And sometimes that results in me getting to, you know, use them again for a future project. We get to work together together again. Like, for example, like I worked with Beholder to No One. I was on one of her earliest episodes with Magic School Mystery. And then I was working on Heroes of Tara and I had been, you know, like, commenting and liking and retweeting her stuff for a long time you know like six to nine months of time between those two projects and i just realized like oh maybe she would be great to work on this project as well and she was down for it so it's i like to build lasting relationships with not just influencers but um, also customers and clients and it's important to me i think to work in a way that is a long-term thinking you know i think it's important to think in a way that makes everybody better off in the long term, rather than doing something that would make a quick buck, but cause people to be angry at you, you know, <laughs> I like to try to help influencers a long time after I'm, I've worked with them. Yeah, you never know, like when the next project will come along that they would be interested in promoting as well. Yeah, yeah. So we've dug into a lot of what you do leading up to the Kickstarter. And then I think a little bit about once launch happens, but like when you are in the midst of however long the Kickstarter is going to be, like how do your tactics change if they do from before the Kickstarter launches to the actual launch day? And then I guess like through the one to four weeks that it's open. Yeah. So I usually try to go into launch day really prepared because honestly, it's, it's, it's so much about those first few days and it's so much about preparation i honestly i feel like once i'm into the kickstarter i don't have that much power to change what's happening i have often debated i've been so sad (laughs) watching some kickstarters that don't make it and it's you know it's very normal for a kickstarter not to make it nobody should feel bad if their kickstarter doesn't make it the first time 65 percent of kickstarters fail 
But I see these Kickstarters and I look at them and I'm like, this is a good product. People would love this. They just don't know about it. And I've said to myself, I want to like jump in and like message them and say like, hey, I can I can help you promote and get you where you need to be. But the fact is, I just can't at that point. It's just not possible without preparation to make the Kickstarter happen. And once the Kickstarter is happening, there's not too much you can do to change it if you haven't properly prepared. So during the Kickstarter, I'm mostly managing influencers and the Facebook ads. If I've crafted my Facebook ads well, they're going to be performing well and making us money. um, And that's preparation that I needed to do. And if I have made relationships with the right influencers, they're going to be doing well for us and we're going to be uh, making more money there as well. I will be monitoring a lot of the influencers. Again, like I said earlier, a lot of marketing is about science now. So I will be monitoring like how many people are coming to our Kickstarter from that particular influencer and how much I've spent. And my goal is to see that I have, they've brought us in more sales than the cost of paying them. And so I'll be doing a lot of monitoring during the Kickstarter and I'll have written myself out a whole plan ahead of time because Kickstarters are very emotional and difficult (laughs) and it's easy to forget something in kind of the the frenzy of what's going on and so i will have written out everything i need to be doing usually after the first two days i'll have some feedback from like customers or some feedback from other people about ways to improve the kickstarter page so i'll usually be modifying the kickstarter page but really like once the kickstarter starts there's not a ton I can do to change the course of things. So it's actually kind of frenzied for the first few days and then hopefully very relaxing after the first few days because I plan to always fund day one. <laughs> so if I don't fund day one, it will be stressful. But, you know, if I see 33% funding in the first day two, I'll know that it'll make it. Yeah, those are really good points. And I can definitely understand how, like, it's more important to have really good marketing ahead of time and hope that you don't need to be working at it every single day throughout the whole campaign. Yeah. And I mean, I do put in more time during the campaign happening just to make sure that I am like keeping my clients informed and everything, but it is, I have less ability to change the course of what's happening at that point than if I am planning ahead. Mm -hmm. But Yeah. And that's like one thing that's really like, I think pretty interesting uh, about what I end up doing is like, I usually need to brief a client before we go into Kickstarter about what to expect. Because Kickstarter, the way it works is like I said, the first days, we're putting so much promotional power behind those first two days. And then later on, we kind of are letting it drift with like the hype that is built up. Sometimes you get like influencers who will just like talk about you because they're excited about you. And then kind of it'll get you a large benefit if you have that strong first two days. So I just have to brief clients like our first two days are going to be really strong. Our last two days are going to be really strong. Don't panic. The middle is going to be pretty topped off. It's not going to be doing much in the middle. So just don't think that we're like failing if the middle is a bit weak. That's just how Kickstarter is, you know. And then I just help the client stay as calm as possible as well through the projects. <laughs> Mental health is important during Kickstarters, I'll say. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Something else I'm really curious about is the marketing budget. Mm-hmm. So I know, I mean, obviously, by the if people are reaching out wanting to hire you to help with this, then they're aware that they need to have a marketing budget. But mm-hmm. Do you often have clients that don't realize how much they should set aside and kind of how do you navigate those situations? Definitely. It is it is very interesting to see the different amounts of marketing budgets people will have based on like their past experiences and also people's like assumptions. The normal rule for how much somebody needs to be paying into marketing outside of whatever they're paying me as a marketer, but whatever they put into the promotions themselves needs to be about 20% of whatever amount of money they're looking to raise. So if they're looking to raise about $100,000, then they need to put in about $20,000 in marketing. If they're looking to raise, say, $40,000, then they need to put in like $8,000 of marketing budget. And usually... 
it'll become more expensive if they're trying to raise a large amount and less expensive if they're trying to raise a small amount because it's always kind of easier to find those first customers who are most excited about the product and then harder to find the people who are less excited or not looking as hard for your project. I kind of imagine it, it's like picking apples from a tree, if that makes sense, where it's like the lowest apples are easy to pick, but then eventually you have to get like a ladder and like have your friend hold the ladder while you're like on your tiptoes reaching for the top of the tree, right? So it's easy at first and then gets harder, but usually 20% of the budget is what you need. I personally, I I can work, depending on the project, I work for payment of like a straight up amount for the whole project or per month or weekly. But then I usually have this alternative method that I offer to people who I think their projects are really good and a good match for my skills, as well as if I think they're a good client in terms of like taking they take advice well and they are very passionate about their project. Then I also will do like a percentage of profit. And I like to do that percentage of profit because it's nice because it like aligns me and the client on the same page where if they make money, I make money. And if they don't make money, then I won't make any money. So I really, it's important to me to have like trust uh, built up with my clients. So that's kind of like, one method for that that also helps people who are on kind of a shoestring budget. But yeah, again, 20% is about the standard for how much you should have. I've never like heard what the percentage should be, but I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I can see how some newer to being like entrepreneurs and newer to Kickstarter might balk at that. But I think that that is not nearly as much as it sounds like when honestly, when you think about the, like the reach you have to get to. And it's the thing is that every time I spend a dollar, I'm making more than a dollar back um, on whatever I'm doing. So the 20%, you know, if it brings in more than 20% of your budget back to you in money, then it's worth it. And I have this rant that I'm going to keep short right now. But but I, there's, my rant is, <laughs> it's great to want to build your audience organically, but it's really hard. And it's not bad to spend money to find people who are your right audience. It doesn't make you like somebody who's bad to have good marketing. The worry I often come across is that it'll kind of take away from somebody's message if there's somebody who kind of champions like socialism or something if they spend money on marketing. But it's just it's a it's not about tricking people or anything. It's about finding your right audience. And also, it's just so hard to grow organically because when you're trying to grow organically, you're putting up messages on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit or wherever you're putting up your messages. And all of those websites are controlled by people who the main way they make money is people paying them to advertise to customers. So they are not going to make it easy on you to advertise to customers without paying them because then they're not going to get paid. So it's just right now, it's so hard to grow organically that having a marketing budget is very important to do. Yeah, you raised really good points. (laughs) So just... I, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and just explore more of the freelance side of what you do. Yeah, I guess learn like how many projects do you work on at a time? Like, how do you balance your time? How do you actually, yeah, let's just start with those. Yeah, so I so far have worked on one to two at a time. I have enough time in my days where I could probably take on like four clients. At once, I just like haven't found the right client matches to have that many going at once. It looks like I might be getting that soon. There's a few people who um, are interested in hiring me and who I think I'd be a good match with. But yeah, so it's normally I had one to two, but I could probably have three to four. But the thing is, I always spend eight hours a day working on tabletop games. And what I do is I either will just work longer on one client than necessary in order to just do the best by them possible and hopefully grow myself by making the people I work with extra happy. Or I'll spend some extra time and just be teaching myself some new skills or 
be working on my own side projects or whatever. So that's usually how that works. And I usually, if I'm working with a client, I'll like message them every day to keep up that constant contact. How do you decide what your rates are going to be? Like, do you have, like, I know you talked about some projects, you'll do percentage, some projects it's all pay up front, but I guess what are the factors that go into deciding which method you're going to do? And, you know, how do you know how much you're going to charge each client? Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of, I have a form that I usually send over to clients and I, or I also like talk to them and I usually ask kind of like what their marketing budget is, how much they're looking to raise, how much time they've got before they want to launch their products. And that'll kind of tell me like how difficult the job is if they have a very short time period or if they have a very low marketing budget, then it's more difficult and I'd want more to be paid. But if somebody, you know, is strapped for money, but I think their project is very good and I think customers would really like it, if I think that it would add a lot of value to the world, I do want to make people's dreams come true. So even if somebody has a low enough budget, um, you know, sometimes I'll pitch in my money as well to add to the marketing budget if it's kind of reasonable, but it just needs a little bit of a boost. I view myself very much as like a business partner with whoever I work with, or I view myself as somebody who's working with them to achieve the best value for them, make their dreams come true, and also make uh, something that everybody in the world will enjoy, or not everybody, but some group of people will truly just love. So if it's a good product, you know, I'm willing to put in some of my own money. I'm willing to work for percentage of profit. But if it's something that maybe needs more polish or maybe they don't seem very like organized or like they want to work with me very much, then I'm less inclined to give that kind of deal. And then in terms of also just like sometimes people will come to me and they'll be, you know, like very large industry veterans or something and they'll have a large budget and they're already paying a like 10 person team. And then it feels only fair that I also get paid <laughs> a normal salary. If they already have a large team getting paid a normal salary. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> what are some common mistakes that you see for whether it's for Kickstarter or if it's even for after the Kickstarter and they're trying to convert over to you know, just, hey, I've got a product. Here's where you can buy it. What are some common marketing mistakes that you see? The main marketing mistakes I see are trying to uh, market with no budget is kind of something I've touched on. Um, I also see people trying to do marketing in too short of a time span. Building relationships with influencers is the main thing that means that you have to have a longer time span. So I just see a lot of people will like launch a product on Kickstarter and then try to build relationships with influencers during the Kickstarter and try to get them to promote them during the Kickstarter in like one month. And the thing is like influencers are going to kind of know if you're just trying to immediately use them and you've not helped them out in any way. So like that's why I usually want like two or three months just every every day, like three to five days a week going on and talking to the influencer in their comments or uh, liking their videos and trying to like talk them up across different social media platforms to like help them out. Yeah. So I think it just, you got to give yourself, I would recommend like six to nine months of time if you're a first time creator. And then you also got to be building those relationships early and not during the Kickstarter campaign. Okay, I do want to make sure that we've got time to go over a couple of questions that I like to ask in every interview, mm -hmm. which is, you know, you've worked on a lot of really cool projects over the last couple of years. But when you think about just being a freelance marketing manager working within the tabletop industry, what would you say has been the most challenging part? Yeah, I would say the hardest part is just making, uh, is really just like, gathering trust. I think marketers have a bad rap and maybe rightly so for being not trustworthy. And I'm not, I don't think that's unwarranted. I think, you know, every time I run a Kickstarter, I get a ton of messages from people saying that they can run the Kickstarter for us or that they can, you know, give us a guaranteed boost or they'll give us a mailing list. And they are all just scams. So I totally understand why people think marketing or marketers tend to be scams. And I think as well, like 
there's an environment in the world where marketing has caused some problems. So I think creating trust is very important thing. And it's a very big barrier because I want to, like I said, be essentially a business partner to everybody I work with. I want to benefit when they benefit. I want to make decisions that are going to benefit them. And marketing is a very confusing and almost ethereal subject. It's not something like an artist where, for example, an artist creates a, a something and they can show it to you and they can and you can see if you like it or not. But with marketing, I don't create anything physical. I can't create something and show it to somebody and be like, this is definitely good. You like this, right? So with trust, it's important for me to come to people often with like solid numbers and say like, look, we made this many sales by spending this much money. You can see that we spent less money than the money we made. Therefore, I'm doing my job well. <laughs> uh, and I just try to like explain everything as clearly, as plainly as possible in a way that is uh, makes it obvious what I'm doing with the money given to me and makes it obvious that I'm using it in their best interest. And yeah, and I think that another thing that helps with building that trust is the like percentage of profit method that I often do. I think I'm pretty unusual in that I do that. There are people who do percentage of revenue, but with percentage of revenue, it's uh, they make money when you make money, but they don't make less money if they spend more money, if that makes sense. So I am incentivized to both uh, make more money for them, but also only make more money if I'm not spending money frivolously. And so I think that also helps build trust. And then another thing I do to try to help build trust is that constant communication. Every every single day that I work, I send an email to my clients and tell them what I did that day. And I hope that that builds up that trust. Um, I think sometimes it is hard building that trust when there's like certain activities I do that don't have immediate payouts. Like when I'm building those relationships with influencers, you know, a client might be a little bit nervous that are these relationships going to be worth it, you know, because they're not going to see it until much later. But that's kind of the hardest thing is just building trust and maintaining trust with with clients to make sure that we're all working together well. Yeah. And I think that those are some really good tips on how to overcome that hurdle as well. Yeah. So it, it seems like you've got a pretty good process down. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I mean, it's very, it's very important to me to, uh, I mean, I really... You know, the way I judge whether or not I'm doing a good job is if the people who are buying the products and the clients are happy. So that's that's the important thing to me. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what about when you look back again over your time growing into this role, what would you say has been the most rewarding part of the journey? The most rewarding part is definitely like seeing people's dreams come true essentially when people come to me with their game ideas and they say i want to make this dream i have a reality it's like it's always something that's they care about deeply so it's always you know for example like uh, magic school mystery the the designer for that she loves harry potter and she was so excited to work on it jacob dwerkson from heroes of tara he was like every time i talk to him still i'm just so excited <laughs> Because he's always so happy to talk to me because we had we built up so much trust. I mean, that was like probably the most successful Kickstarter I've I've launched. And he was a first time creator. He's like a, a person who's loved Celtic mythology all his life. And he got to create this Celtic mythology game um, and share it with all these other Celtic mythology people. And I can still like hear that he's excited about it every time we talk. And I get to see like the continuing careers of like the person who made magic school mystery she's working on a bunch of other things now and the first people i worked with on fuel priest they're working on more games now as well and seeing all these like clients i work with make their dreams come true makes me like really happy that i could be somebody who helps them kind of launch forward on those dreams like there's this there's this person um who does a lot of crowdfunding a crowdfunding expert called salvador brigman and i i've like read his books and I listen to his podcasts and in his book he talks about how some products make a small benefit in a lot of people's lives but some products make a huge difference in a few people's lives and I feel like as a marketing consultant or market manager I get to make a big difference in a few people's lives and I really 
take great joy in that. Yeah, that's so special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's it's great. I love talking to everybody I've worked with. That's awesome. Well, I honestly cannot believe that we are already at like an hour. I feel like I would just want to keep asking you questions forever. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so are there any upcoming projects that you're excited about that you're allowed to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I mean, I'll shout out, first of all, I'll shout out my, my thing that's going to be coming out and not long is going to be furry in fifth edition. It's going to be a zine of anthropomorphic animals. And then I also will, I'll shout out Magic School Mystery, that game I've been talking about with uh, Wizard School Investigations. The designer for that, she's launching her print-on-demand book, which will be out by December. So if anybody wants to get that as well. Awesome. Well, Daniel, if people want to find you and your projects and just figure out like how to hire you for themselves, where should they go? Yeah, so um, the best place to reach me will be on Twitter. I'm at DanielNimitz1. You can also contact me through a contact form on my website at www.danielnimitz.net. Awesome. I will have those in the show notes. But yeah, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been so interesting and you have so much good advice. And it's, it's just, it's been a great conversation. Thanks, Courtney. It's really fun talking to you. You're so easy to talk to. It's so fun. Oh, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> You just finished another episode of Roll, Play, Grow. To check out the show notes from today's episode, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And if you're enjoying the show, I would absolutely love if you would leave me a review and share this episode with your friends. Your review might even get featured on an upcoming episode. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at LightheartADV for our business account or at KetraWCR for tweets on gaming, my dog Bowser, and other random shenanigans. You can also find us as Lightheart Adventures on both Instagram and Patreon. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Roll, Play, Grow.